Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Hey, everybody, this is Scott Cowan, and today I am talking to Shauna Danger and Mark Paolo from Archie McPhee. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so one of you, I'll, I'll let you decide who, give us a little bit of the backstory of Archie McPhee and how it got started. Well, I'm going to let Mark do that because he <sighs> is the owner of the company and he started the company. <laughs> um, if you really want to go back to the book of Genesis, it probably <laughs> started when I was like eight years old with, I liked cool weird things that I would see in the backs of comics, like X-ray specs and sea monkeys and all that kind of thing. And I was always interested in that. And I was also always interested in um, nostalgia and popular culture and, and um, these kind of things in everyday life that, that, that are part of the fabric of life, but um, people don't pay much attention to. And anyway, I had a variety of ridiculous businesses when I was small. You know, everything from charging a nickel to electrocute people. I would take <laughs> the. I and I want to ask you about that because I read that online. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. We put the train transformer, you know, uh, which was like a real electrical device with a dial on it and hooked wires up to an aluminum folding chair, and people would sit in it. And they would get a shock as we'd turn it up. And um, How old were you for that, Mark? I was eight or nine. My, yeah, under my, age 10. Yeah, I, and, um, and my, I had an older brother who was six years older who was much more technical in terms of electricity and all that. <laughs> and but he was kind of, he was the nerd, you know. Uh, he later went and got a degree in physics. I mean, he was a total science nerd. But... Um, we hooked that up and I don't know. I just remember a guy named Neil from down the street that he put his feet on the metal bar and we turned it way up and he really got a shock. And he you walked out money worth. He walked out of there kind of twitching. And uh, <laughs> I was just, you know, it's just a good thing that these liability suits and, and all that stuff, this is like way far. This is like, a, this is like 1960. I mean, this is it's a different stuff. world. now. Exactly. Exactly. The statute of limitations has run out. But um, just to kind of bring it up to date. I mean, I, I was always interested in this stuff. I, I started in uh, the seventies collecting um, cigar box labels and old toys and, and all of that. And I would do, I would do driveaways where you would take somebody's nice car and deliver it. I would drive from LA to New York and then I would stop in little drugstores. I remember great finds in Kansas and Nebraska on the state roads. And I would just buy all the toys from the drugstore because they were often made in Japan and they were often, you know, from the fifties and they're, they were never sold. They were mint condition and they were, they were on the shelf. They were dusty, but, uh, and then I would sell them in New York and, um, you know, do it again and again. And in, and it just moved along that way. And I got I had mail order business. And eventually I um, moved to Seattle in 1982, put everything in a truck and uh, got a store next to a place called the Pink and Pretty Beauty Salon on Upper Fremont. Um 
and um, started there in a tiny space. Um, the lady next door who owned the Pink and Pretty had some storage space, and I would store the pink flamingos there. Um, it was very funky. And then it was just a series of uh, finding places. And then we found a place in Lower Stoneway in the, in the kind of frontier battle zone between Fremont and, uh, and Wallingford, you know. Um, right. I remember so, that. I remember that area. I was in that location, I think. That was the best location. It was really funky. We had wooden floors that were really old. And if you dropped something, it would go down into a crack and you'd never get it again. And um, there, it used to actually be a Chevy car dealer and those doors would roll up and they'd bring in like the 36 Chevy kind of thing. And it was actually a little funky car room show. And Shauna will remember where there was a guy we called Tar Pit Tony yeah. in, in the basement who had a, uh, a roofing business and he had big vats of tar that he'd heat up and the, the tar smell would come up through the floor. I mean, yeah, we always on hot days, we had to choose between having the window open and smelling the tar or, or closing the windows and being too hot. Cause of course we didn't have any AC in that building. Then that's often the building that everybody remembers, but a lot of people don't know about the pink and pretty era of, so, yeah. of Archie McPhee, but the one on 35th and Stoneway is where I started. So Mark, what brought you to Seattle? What was the, the impetus to come up? Cause Seattle was incredibly cool in the early eighties. So I could applaud you, but what was, what was the motivation? Um, you'll find this amusing, but it was cheap real estate because I had married in LA and realized that it would be impossible to buy a home because LA was experienced this incredible appreciation of real estate and getting commercial space for a business was 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 extremely expensive, and um, and then it was also just um, wanting to raise a family and wanting to do it in Seattle, not LA, okay. and um, so that's that's why. Okay, and um, and it all worked out, and and uh, you know, rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> so, Shauna, how long? So. When we talked earlier, you, you mentioned you've been working for Archie McPhee for 29 years. Yeah. July will be my 29-year anniversary. So what's your version of the last 29 years? <laughs> we got to start. Now, What's what? you take us up kind of another decade. How about that? Okay. So I started um, exactly as Mark said, the, the floor, I started with trying to clean out those floors. <laughs> Everything had fallen into the cracks of... And at that time, you know, it was a very tiny little um, store just packed with stuff. And I, we were there for a good long time before then we moved to Ballard. And we were in Ballard for 10 years. And so first of all, I'm going to talk about moving those things. That was insane, was moving that whole store into that bigger Ballard location. It, it was absolute madness. Um, and... Uh, that was one of the bigger challenges ever for me. And then, um, you know, in that little store, we had all kinds of things happen, like celebrities would come in and um, we have our wall. We started our wall of fame back then. And we had some interesting events like we had. Mark, do you remember we had a, um, an ice cream social with Ben and Jerry and Ben and Jerry, the actual people, Ben and Jerry came and they were introducing their new ice cream, which was wavy gravy. So wavy gravy who a lot of people know from Woodstock 
um, came also. And it was our tiny little store. I don't know how we would pull off these big events where there was real, you know, these real people were showing up and like hula hooping and playing, you know, with bubbles and giving out ice cream. That was one of our things at that store. And then we moved to Ballard, which was, it was, uh, it was exciting, but also tear filled because we missed our little Stoneway store and our, our little, we kind of became, um, more well known, I think, once we moved there. And also we started using, you know, barcodes and everything else. It was, it was fancy, but we never sold out because we still were super cool. And um, we continued to have tons of interesting events. So in Ballard, we had our free Ballard movement, which was talking about um, the, um, we were, we celebrated the hundred year of the end. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't a celebration. It was more like uh, trying to end the hegemony of the, um, of the uh, Ballard becoming annexed to Seattle a hundred years before. So we had um, all kinds of games, <laughs> like the one of the rumors, because Seattle really wanted Ballard to be a part of it a hundred years previous. And so one of the things that they had done, room, the rumor was, is that they fouled, they befouled the water, the drinking water in Ballard so that you would have to join up with Seattle by putting a dead horse in it. So we had little games where we would like, toss horse heads into water it was like befoul the water was a game and that kind of stuff so we had a lot of uh, things in ballard that was 10 years we were there till um 1999 i guess it would have been no 2009 <laughs> 2009 we moved yeah 1999 to 2009 we were in ballard and then 2009 we moved into wallingford and this time we were back on stoneway at 45th and stone and um, this is the location where it's it's actually a very, really wonderful spot. We've included, now we have a lot more little um, uh, experiences within the store. And of course, our biggest one is the Rubber Chicken Museum, which I'm sure we'll be talking about. But we have all kinds of things like the Glow Chamber, and we have Motog the Talking Tiki, and we have Captain Archie who gives out fortunes, and lots of little experiences like that. You know, an interesting sideline is our uh, parallel life with the Washington State Liquor Board. <laughs> That's right. In that the Ballard location was a uh, Washington State liquor store when this state had controlled liquor sales. Right. And we took it over. But, you know, unfortunately, for years after that, um, drunks and people would still stagger in trying to buy alcohol. You know, and all we had was memory. Drink rubber rubber chickens and things you know wow. and um but then we got the wallingford place and that was a washington state liquor store as well <laughs> and they decided not to uh, renew their lease and we got that space and um that was a liquor store and it had a liquor store vibe and and we even found like this was very cool like up kind of in the rafters up above the bathroom, little hidey holes with little, those tiny little bottles of liquor, like used to get on airlines <laughs> where I think the employees had like <laughs> taken them to the bathroom and chug a lug them. And then they hid the bottles up in these little <laughs> things in the rafters, you know? So you, you, you walk into this whole historical and social kind of thing. And, and, and it was just, it was uh, amusing. Um, and people so, kept accusing us of taking over from, you know, taking over state liquor stores as if as if we were, you know, out, out maneuvering the state. It's like, no, they just didn't fulfill their lease, didn't want their leases anymore. So they're great, great locations, actually. 
So, Mark, earlier before we pushed the record button, you were talking about COVID, Brandon, and all that. How are you guys adapting during, because at the time of this recording, we're graduating to, I think, you guys, King County's in phase two now, so you can open again. Yeah. So stores are open. Um, how is that? How are you guys navigating that? How, how's that for a retail business? How does that work for you guys? Are you having fun with it? I mean, are you guys, I kind of think you guys would be irreverent somehow and making, not making fun of it, but making light of the situation. Um, we've actually been operating for a surprisingly long time. I mean, first we did curbside, which is absurd and ridiculous. You know, you, you drive up and we run out with a rubber chicken and, and, but we did that. Um, we had curbside and then, uh, we were just about ready to open what we called the chicken shack, which was, we opened the double doors at the back of the store and we had built a little kind of like lemonade stand, wooden thing called the chicken shack where you could social distance and we had tongs and you could ask us for something and we'd run into the store and we'd come out and we'd hand it to you with tongs. And, and there was a little, you know, mobile credit card thing, um, that was amusing. I mean, all of that. And then, and then we were finally able to open the store and allow 10 people at a time. in. now it's 24 and people are slowly coming back, but it's very stressful. It's very hard um, to be masked and to do all of that stuff. And there's a lot of fear and it's uncomfortable to work in a mask. We all know that. And, um, and there's a few, you know, most 99% of the people are always fantastic. And there are a few jerks like, you know, if you don't have a mask, we will give you one. Okay. Um, and, you know, and we had a guy that like what said Sieg Heil because we asked him to wear a mask. I mean, it's so disappointing that this incredible health crisis has, has become politicized. I mean, that's another story, but um, it's open. Um we did it mainly. Um, I mean, we're losing money hand over fist um, doing this, um, but we wanted to show the world that life will go on. And it, it had made a lot of difference to a lot of people to start to see us open. Yeah, we, we actually, oh, we actually and, had people call us and say, oh, I'm not calling to place an order. I just want to tell you, I'm so happy that you're there. And we had mul- we've had multiple people do that. And it's so cool to know what a big part of the community we are and such a sign of joy that we are. And, um, you know, we, we are trying to, you know, add that little, this little piece of joy. Mark, you had said, you know, people have been buying all the practical things. Everybody's buying flour and toilet paper and wipes and everything. And then at a certain point, people want a rubber chicken and a finger puppet. They just want something else. They want to spend money on something silly and we're there for them. And, and as we were saying, you know, you can actually literally call us up and we will curbside pick up a single finger puppet for you. Little finger monster. It's a buck, you know, you can do that. So we're trying to create that little piece of joy there. I think, you know, I think it's really awesome that you guys are doing curbside delivery. It's not, not financially functional. I get that. Uh, uh, Roasting a a coffee company in Spokane has been filming. They'll do 
people can drive by and they'll throw the coffee at them through the car as they move and they're filming it and posting it on Facebook. And, you know, the, the, the woman that's doing it's, you know, behind her back and she's, she's getting very creative and, and they're having fun with it. And, and they're, you know, they're trying to, you know, celebrate their clients and the customers are coming and, you know, coming out and they've got choices. Right. And same thing here, you guys, you know, you're bringing finger puppets to the car, curbside, yeah. <laughs> you know, finger puppet delivery. I mean, I don't think that was in your business plan ever. Right. No. I don't think that was part of the, you know, when you sat down with, with your banker back in the day and said, this is my plan for world domination. We're <laughs> going to deliver finger puppets to cars. Right. I don't think that's what you were thinking. Uh, <laughs> we got to adapt though. <laughs> right. And yeah, exactly. So, so let me ask both of you about the store. What's your favorite item that you sell? What's your, like your favorite item? And Shano, you go first this time. <laughs> Mark gets more time to think about. Well, of course, you know, being in this company so long, we go, at least I go through phases of different things being my favorite. Um, And I suppose now that I am, you know, I have the title of the high priestess of rubber chickens. And I think the classic rubber chicken has become my favorite item, even after all these years and all these different items. And the thing is, is that it's so ridiculous. It is absolutely the symbol of humor, but it's a ridiculous item. People don't know why it's funny. It just symbolizes being funny. And I love the history of novelties. I love the history of our type of business um, and the classics. And so I will go with rubber chicken, even though sometimes I have other things that I'm more excited about at the time. But if you take the whole picture, I got to say rubber chickens. It represents us. It represents me. And it's... um it's, we keep doing new things that you can squawk it, you can squeak it, you can make it bigger, you can make it smaller, but there's that classic is just, you just can't, it's undeniable. And this is the perfect moment to mention that it was Shauna's idea a few years ago to, within the store, create the Rubber Chicken Museum. And that took about a year to develop. And we, you know, I pulled all of these old, chickens out of storage and and got a lot of old material and, and tried to remember their stories. And we do this wonderful parody of a museum with the little information cards and the whole thing. And um, it was Shauna's idea. And it's, um, it's wonderful. And we've been, you know, we get um, donations of, of chicken items from people um, who want their thing to be in the museum. Like we, we got a, a rubber chicken that was from the NSNBC newsroom that um, um, what was the story on that? Did it go into space or something? Or? No, the MSNBC, <laughs> that another one? that's a different one. But, okay. um, but, but you're right. The MSNBC one was a really cool story of when MSNBC first came to our area and when they first were doing, um, you know, an online presence. And um, so they had, you know, it was 24 hour news and it was cable news and it was a new thing to them. And their newsroom had to figure out who was in charge because it was 24 hours. And so they put this thing where whoever had the chicken, the rubber chicken was in charge for the day. And they did that for many, many years. And then eventually the chicken started to get kind of decomposed and everything. So they put it, they framed it as a symbol in their office. 
And when, um, and then they, you know, then MSNBC became a much bigger thing and not local and everything else. But um, they contacted me, the person who had the chicken and said they would love to have it in our museum, because what better place than a museum for that chicken. And it was really, really cool. They contacted some of the old um, MSNBC people. We did a live Facebook for them um, and showed them their old chicken. And we had around, oh, 30 people showed up live. And then another 100 or so watched online as we dedicated the chicken and introduced it into the museum that they can visit anytime. And they had great stories that they were telling each other. So that's kind of one of our features in the museum. But what's so funny about the museum is, you know, people think ha 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 rubber chicken museum, even friends of mine. But when you go there, it's actually really interesting to read the cards and see the stories. And we have lots of cool chickens and cool stories. And we've and as Mark said, we have many donations. We've had people donate like a stained glass rubber chicken. And, um, and by the way, the word rubber chicken, it refers to that rubber chicken shape. We know that some things aren't actually made out of rubber and they're still called rubber chickens. (laughs) I get some sticklers sometimes who are like, well, that's not a rubber chicken. That's a glass chicken. Now rubber chicken is the style of chicken that it is. So, all right. It was your idea to start a rubber chicken museum. Mm-hmm. You 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 get credit for that. Yes. Free 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 admission. Free admission. Free admission. Let's let's let's. We have a. That's right. Thank let's, you. Let's make sure that's clear. That's right. Where, where okay? How did you get the inspiration? What what was you know why rubber chicken and not whoopee cushions or or you know well, or something you know. Okay, so the original inspiration that I had was I went to Berlin and I went to this museum um, called, it was uh, Museum de Dinge, D-I-N-G-E, Dinge, um, the Museum of Things. And I went, I read on Atlas Obscura what to do in Berlin and I went to this um, cool museum that was up all these stairs and it was just this, this bunch of rooms and it was all these things put together in this very unusual way, sort of um, things that were alike. So maybe it would be doorbell buttons all together in a case or piles of paper clips. Um, And of course, one of my favorites, and Mark knows this, I've always loved the imagery on mousetraps, the little red mouse that's on a wooden mousetrap. I don't want to sell mousetraps. I don't want to get into the mousetrap business, but I always loved that beautiful little mousetrap graphic. And they had a whole shelf of these mouse traps, and I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm in heaven here!" And I love this museum of putting things together in this different way. So when I came back from my trip, I said, "We have to, you guys, we have to have a museum. We have to do a museum. We have so many cool things." And then it kind of got into, "Yeah, what would the item be? What's worthy of a of a of having a museum? Would it be a museum of multiple things, or is it a museum of one thing?" And then David Wall, our our other partner here, our um, my partner at work, uh, was like, "You know, we keep talking about rubber chickens. Is that something? Does that have enough?" And you know, we kept, we started saying like, "Yeah, you." We said whoopee cushions or poop or whatever, and we just kept coming back to, "Is there enough to say rubber chickens?" And we really started to put together our heads about rubber chickens and the different ones. And we were like, yeah, actually we could do this. 
And we also have a rotating exhibit because Mark has this incredible collection of items of historical novelties and all kinds of things that he has in this room that nobody's allowed to go into called room six. <laughs> and so we wanted to kind of try to get him to <laughs> give up some of that stuff and let us see some of the good stuff from room six. So we have the okay. Robert Chukin Museum, and then we have the rotating exhibit from room six that Mark personally curates. So I curate sort of the major rubber chicken museum and he personally curates the room six exhibit. We're going to come back to rubber chickens, but I got to <laughs> ask room six, how did it get named? That's it's a, it's an odd name. Um, so what's the story with room six? We had a location for some years uh, in the 90s on a street called Bright Street off of Leary Way in Seattle. And there was a hallway with rooms. And I took a room and started putting my collections and things in it. And we, you need to have in a business, you need designations. And I didn't want to put like, you know, secret museum of extremely valuable collectors. I mean, that would like be a tip off for a, a burglar, <laughs> right? So right. I, I just put a post-it note up and said, room six, keep out. And uh, <laughs> so when we moved uh, several times over the years and ended up um, where we are now in Muckleteo, um, it just, uh, I just took a room and it just was the room six room and everybody knew what it was. So it, it worked out. <laughs> So that's that's your collection of of personal collectibles, mementos, if you will, mm-hmm. and then you you'll display some of them at mm-hmm. the Wallingford store. Yep. Okay. How often do you change that out? Well, it was going to be every three months, but it, it's been about th- two years. Um, and now okay. now with coronavirus, I God knows when we'll change it out, but it will be changed out. It will be uh, changed. We put, uh, we have our bin of items for the next exhibit, but we have to write all the museum cards and it takes a lot of time in history. And it's hard because, you know, we're often we're not able to get together on these kinds of things. So it, and it's been other priorities, but it's, we've got the next idea. So currently what's in that exhibit? If somebody were to go to your store in the near near future, what would they see there? What's on display now in room six? There are various novelty items from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, a lot of them, a few from Germany, some from Japan. And they're made of materials that aren't used anymore, like celluloid and actual rubber. And mm-hmm. they're terribly charming and terribly interesting uh, little delicate paper things. Um, they're just, um, to me, they're the most beautiful things in the world because, you know, I think about how they were made and the fact that they survived so long, um, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred years, uh, and, and, and we have them here and, and they're just part of this tradition of, of basically craft items for people to sort of, take life less, less seriously, just use their imagination, um, and try to make a living, you know? Uh, Sure. Okay. Now that's, um, I just, somehow this jogged a memory of mine when I was in grade school at a school carnival and they gave away those, you know, those chintzy cheesy prizes. And there was the braided tube that you put your fingers in. Mm -hmm. Finger trap. 
why why did that trigger that in my brain? I don't know, but it did. And I'm yeah. Anyway. Um, I have to tell you, we sell finger traps, and I have rescued so many people out of those. We actually made a, a little extra instructional video on how to get out of a finger trap. <laughs> so help that eight-year-old kid many years ago, how, how was I supposed to get out of the thing? Because I just remember kind of being in a panic. Like, I, I, I'm People stuck. panic. Yeah, we've <laughs> had criers. We've had all kinds of things. I don't think I cried. I think I was probably getting pretty close, though. I think yeah. I had, my mom had to help me. It's rather upsetting. I've had, I've had employees get stuck. New employees get stuck in it, too, by the way. It's not just children. You know, it's quite charming that there is a Star Trek Next Generation episode with data who is given one of these things and you know he's like the super genius android and he gets his finger in them and even with his super brain he can't get out of it and there's something so gratifying about yep. that that's awesome i i warning i'm going to ask a question we didn't talk about before we started <laughs> new employee training yes you you mentioned you know new employees get stuck in a finger trap how does one how is one prepared to work at Archie McPhee? Mm. Is there, is there like, is there a manual? Is there a training guide or is it, I mean, what's the story there? Well, there's certainly manuals and training guides and everything else, but um, a lot of it has to do with having an excitement and a passion for what we do. Um, and also not intimidated by having to memorize, you know, 10,000 items. We have 10,000 items and you have to know where they are, what they are, uh, probably 10% of them you need to know the price of, you have to just memorize it. Um, And uh, being able to think in a different way, because we don't have that exact one thing that that somebody says, oh, do you have this thing? You have to go, we don't have that, but we have this, this, and that, that make up that, and you can use this for that. So you have to really be able to think on your feet um, and really sort of bring your own style. And one of the things that's such an important part of our, our jobs is everybody makes it their own. So if they're really good at hand lettering, for example, they will become the sign maker, or if they're really good at social media, they might be the person. So everybody brings something and their personal thing that they bring is what their job becomes. So, um, so there's, there's that. And we, we, we used to have a, a um, s- series of tests that you had to do when you started, which was, we used to have a nerd test, but we, but everybody, are, everybody is a nerd now, but there used to be a nerd test on the back of our nerd glasses that said things like, you know, do you know what a font is? Well, of course, now everybody knows what a font is. It's harder to see how, what percentage nerd you are anymore. Cause we're, all our nerd scores have gone up so much. Um, we used to make people, you know, uh, like there's a, the screw, we have screwdriver handles. They have a really weird smell. You'd have to like go smell the screwdriver handles, do the nerd test and a few other <laughs> things. Um, and so that's, you know, the initiation. The init- okay. So the, there yeah. is an initiation. Yeah. It's gentle. Okay. It's very, it's, that's it's kind very of cool gentle. though. <laughs> you know, since you brought that up, I would say it's interesting that smell is really critical in what we do. And that every time we get a new item or we design something, the first thing I do and everyone does is you smell it. And not only does it have to look good, but it has to have a smell that is not too repellent and that is pleasing. And so it's a weird thing um, 
which you can't do in the digital world. You got to go right. there. You got to go there to do it. Well, the other yeah. thing we have people do now is to taste our candies, right? So we have weird candies. I, the one that really stands out to me is the fried chicken candy. It tastes exactly like sweet fried chicken, which is kind of disturbing in a candy, but it's amazing how it tastes and amazing how people have a different some people think it's like the worst, worst candy we sell. And some people think it's the best candy we sell. But yeah, we definitely make people taste weird things too. I mean, but, make is strong, I guess, encourage. Strongly encourage. So, so, um, social pressure, you know. Just, <laughs> okay. But, you know, just speaking to that about, about employees, there's some, it's hard to say, we look for something special about people who are willing to engage other people um, joke with them, put them on, educate them. And you can't really tell that from an interview. And it's, I mean, I actually, um, I like to give people a hard time, you know, and, 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 in a, in a, in a, just to sort of see what happens. I mean, like people that say, oh yeah, I used to go to your store in Ballard. I mean, you know, that was a decade ago and, and, you know, Shauna has the best answer. It's like, what, You've not been to Wallingford. You're you're dead to me. Get out. What have you done for us lately? Like, thanks yeah. a lot. Um, <laughs> because a big part of of of, re, of retail, to have, people need a reason to come, and it, it has to be somewhat theatrical. And sure. So we definitely, I have to tell you, people that have done improv make really great store employees. Um, people who have done Im- improv make really great. Um, employees where they have to work with people, you know, in sales and these kinds of things. And um, it's, it's very interesting kind of what, what we're looking for. Um, And it's not always the person who is the like wackiest, because sometimes we have people who are like, I'm super wacky. And it doesn't really, you know, we love wacky, but it's not the only thing you can't, you can't just bring that to the table. You know, you have to have um, some other abilities. I think uh, it's it's a really uh, challenging place to work because you have to be good with people. You have to be able to count cat, you know, count change back to people because we're you know s- small business. So we op- you know people can buy things for a do- literal dollar. So you have to be able to count five get change right. from a five. Um, That's almost like a lost art. It, now, it right is. Way. It, it is. is. I have it, to train people on it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, anything having to do with we have to stock the sales floor and learn all those things. And you have to be able to lift heavy boxes and you have to be able to organize things. So it's a it's a, and we also have events for people and um, we have spin to wins and all kinds of fun things all the time. So. Yeah, yeah it sounds like it's never a dull moment it's, in the store. Yeah, it's an experience. And that's one of the things that we're hoping, you know, people appreciate going forward with life is the experience of being somewhere, you know, not just buying things online. I think one of the hardest things for staff that all everyone will encounter is a lot of parents will bring their children for the first time and they'll give them a dollar or $5 and they say, okay, you're on your own. Just go. (laughs) A lot of times this is, I think the earliest experience with money for a lot of children is our store Mm -hmm. and they'll spend all this time getting, you know, a little plastic giraffe and a little, you know, doodah and this kind of thing. And they'll bring it up and they will have done the math and, you know, it'll be like 99 cents and they'll give us a dollar. And then the store person has to say, (laughs) 
there's Washington State sales tax, and it's nine point eight seven five three. You know, it's like the kid is like, what? Like this concept of taxation is That's a right. horribly traumatic event. For um, so how do you guys handle that when the kid comes up with a, you know, he's got the carefully calculated 97 cents worth of things. I'll tell you how we handle it. The, the employee themselves usually reaches into their pocket and puts a dime in to cover it. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. That's 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 wonderful. But we warn them next time you got to pay the tax. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it's a it's a teaching moment. Absolutely. But, but you also made the kids super happy that he got oh, yeah. 97 cents worth of stuff and Although sometimes we get scolded by the parent. No, they have to learn. <laughs> you know, here's here that dime back. Um, okay, well. We also have our the employee who now we have been around long enough that we have an employee who was that child. Um, and now as an employee, so she remembers buying things as a kid and, um, I, I helped her, you know, like I waited on her as a child and now she's an employee and she has things left that she bought in the nineties, you know, with her, her allowance money. And now she's a store employee. So it's really, it's, that's very cool. Who are you referring to? Angela. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's, she, that's very cool. Yeah. She has a devil ducky waste basket and all these things that she bought with her own money, you know, and she probably didn't have tax money and all that. So it's very cool. But we're really so proud she of her. Evolved, so she of all people should be comping the tax. That's right. Too. That's right. I'll <laughs> remind her of that. <laughs> so let's go back to the rubber chicken museum. Yes. <laughs> approximately how many exhibits are in this museum? Oh, let's see. Let's go with 120. Okay. And we're keeping adding to it, you know, so we're not taking anything out so far. We just keep adding. I mean, you have to understand some things are very small. Like there is the world's largest, or we have the world's largest rubber chicken, but we also, which is seven feet tall. We have the world's smallest chicken, which you can only see with a big magnifying glass. Yeah. So and then, we, we have some very tiny chickens. And we have so, the world's second smallest rubber chicken too, because we had the one chicken, it was just not small enough. Yeah. So we have the world's second lar- smallest rubber chicken and the world's smallest rubber chicken, the world's largest rubber chicken. Why do we have microscopic rubber chickens? Listen, why do we have any chickens? It's it's no, hilarious. What was the? I mean, so do what? Do you know the historical story of the world's smallest rubber chicken? How did it come about? Well, I just said we needed the world's smallest rubber chicken, and we acquired it. You acquired it. Okay. Gotcha. We made it happen. So it's pro- let's say its provenance is is well documented. <laughs> Okay. We have um, we have some amazing chickens of note. We have a ch- we have a rubber chicken that was for locals that was signed by um, J.P. Patches and Gertrude. Okay. We have a Svenguli for those who are Svenguli fans. Um, we have a Svenguli signed rubber chicken, and we are his official rubber chicken supplier. <laughs> we have a memorial chicken, which uh, a customer. Um, this was one of our really actually before we opened the museum, um, a customer had said that uh, his wife passed and she really loved Archie McPhee and really loved the rubber chicken. And 
he asked if we would put, he, he put her name on a chicken and sent it to us and asked if we would put it up in our store. And we were, yeah. that was really, really touching. And we ended up um, really, we were excited when we opened the museum because we said, oh, now actually, I mean, we had it in our store hanging, but having it in a museum was really, really lovely. Um, so you know, it's actually, um, you know, rubber chickens mean something to people. I'm pausing because I'm trying to formulate my thought there. Um, I think it's really cool, personally. I, I I do. It's it's just so out of, out of left field for me, I guess. You know, and it was like when I reached out to you guys and and you, and you responded back to me, Shauna, with the high priestess of of rubber chickens. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this. I I hope they say yes because this will be a fun conversation. <laughs> and 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 it just it's. I think it's it's great. It's irreverent. It's it's puts a smile on your face. You can't say the word rubber chicken without kind of grinning just a little bit. I mean, you just, you kind of, it's, you know, it's a chuckle. So in the museum, what is, what is the, well, I don't know, rarest, the world's smallest chicken is probably the rarest, but you know, what is in the grand scheme of things, do, are there rare rubber chickens? <laughs> There are rare rubber chickens. We have, um, I think everyone has a different favorite. We have a crushed haunted chicken that was crushed for decades under um, pallets in our warehouse. And it's, it's on a plate and it's sort of this scary haunted chicken. So some people really love that. Um, and of course, you know, getting your picture with the world's largest rubber chicken is, is sort of a must. You have to get your picture taken with the world's largest rubber chicken. It just has to, has to happen. Um, and then we also have swag. So like you can get the postcard of the world's largest rubber chicken. We have the rubber chicken museum gift shop, of course. <laughs> we have a goofy sign that says, you know, exit here to the gift shop. Exit through the Basically, obviously the whole place is a gift shop, but you know, we yeah. are in that genre that I love so much of all over the country and though even in the world, I've been to places in France and the UK where some little town who, for some reason, somebody says, I'm going to make the biggest ball of string and put mm -hmm. a sign up on the road and, you know, maybe make a buck or two or the biggest frying pan. You know, that that stuff, it is actually really huge. It's terribly charming where these people in, in isolation will try to do something that often they're quite serious about and want to show it to the rest of us. And in this world that is just so fast moving and, and so digital and data driven, these are like, these are like sitting around the campfire telling stories. These are like really primal human behaviors that bring us together and that are very touching and that are accessible to everyone. You don't need an education. You don't need any money. I mean, you, you can you can ex you can access these things. And uh, I mean, one of the things I had planned to do in 2020 was a major road trip all through the U.S. And I was going to hit because there's a couple of good books out there on the, the biggest frying pan and all that. I was going to hit all those places because I just and, and a lot of those people come to see us, too. They're you know, you probably know about the art cars at the Fremont Solstice oh, yeah. Parade and. You know, a lot of those people will come and see us when they're in town for that. And and a lot of them are of that era because they, you know, their car is their museum. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a real strange band of brothers kind of things and sisters 
uh, going on with this thing that that is really heartwarming and uh, in and I, I just love it because it's not it's not corporate you know it's not Amazon it's it's not Google it's not you know it's not all that stuff you know it's the pe- no, it's the people's thing. <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine Walmart delivering anything to my car like a you know, finger puppet or something like that. But Mark, I asked a question earlier that you you avoided, so I'm going to come back and see if I can pin you down. What's your favorite? What's your favorite item in the store? You, Shauna answered, and we, we oh yeah, I, thank we, you. We went off on a tangent, so bring it back. Do you just mean favorite favorite, or do you mean the one that I would grab if the place was on fire? No, no, no. Favorite. What's your favorite? The thing that you guys sell that you get the most enjoyment out of, um, that you're proud of. It's probably the deluxe finger monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It is in what I call the Hall of Fame. Most of what we do only sells well for a year or two and then fades away. Um, mm-hmm. But there are certain things that just always sell, and the finger monsters always sell. But there's a, they have a special meaning to me because it was one of the first items I ever marketed in the 80s. And they came from a company who's for the novelty and toy collectors whose logo was called Gigantor. And they kept degrading them. They, there was what it's what's called quality fade in the novelty business. They kept getting worse. The 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 floppiness of the rubber it, it 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 stopped being so floppy which was the charm of the you know the guy and the painting got really sloppy i mean they they paint the eye on the forehead and the whole thing and i got you know i would offer extra money i would do like please make these things well and you know they didn't really care and it's like so many of our best items <laughs> i developed them out of spite um I call them like the Ganesh, the, the Hindu god of, of overcoming obstacles. It was a Ganesh items. Okay, you're messing with me. You pissed me off. I will make this thing. I will make this thing better than you, and I will sell more of these things, and I will triumph, and I will conquer this item, and we will be what the world comes to. And which is exactly what happened with with the the deluxe finger monsters. Our own art. Guys, we worked really hard on this. We named them. We 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 argued about color schemes. We studied the polymers of the plastic, and and we did all this technical stuff. We paid a lot of money for these custom molds, and that's our thing now. And nobody touches us with this. I mean, we got we got the best thing, and and it was all because you know people let me down, and. That's true on on several other items like that that have that have become kind of the foundation of the company because it was it's a very risky thing to to do something like that, particularly when we were much smaller. I mean, if it didn't work out, it might have meant the end of the company. So, and so, now it's one of our top sellers of all time. Yeah, probably the top seller. So you mentioned the Hall of Fame. Through the years, you've launched products. Yes. It, has there been one spectacular failure that you thought for sure was going to be, you know, the hit and that the market just didn't respond? There have been many of those and I try to black them out. Black I'm sorry. Out. You know, it's painful. It's it's really painful and I'm I'm sorry you brought it up. But <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'll give you, I'll tell you one that we were talking about the other day is at the beginning of the internet in the mid nineties. And, you know, we had our website in 1995 before Amazon did. Um, they've obviously done a lot better than we have. Um, but um, I did, there was all this thing about, you know, people being addicted to video games and the internet and all that stuff in the nineties. That's kind of faded away now that we are all already addicted. Um, but I did, a, I, I found a, a urinal, a plastic urinal like truck drivers would use who right. uh, couldn't get to a bathroom. And then I screened uh, a little logo of like a, a guy in front of his screen and the words internet urinal on the urinal. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And it was really practical and really useful. I mean, I still keep one in my car because I've, I've been, I've been stuck. I've been stuck on traffic jams on I five when we used to have traffic and it saved my life, but it was a spectacular failure that took about 10 years to uh, sell out at a loss. That was one of them. Yeah, okay. and but people do still ask for that item. So you always get that passionate few, but sometimes it's just not enough. <laughs> That's, oh my gosh. All right. All right, so the, the one question, all right, so to double back, you've told us your favorite. Now, if if Archie McPhee store was burning. Not everybody not was, it's not happening. Right, but if, if everybody was safe and you could take only one thing from the store, what would you take? Um, I would take this, this creature we call the Wallingford Beast, which is something we created when we opened the store. And it's kind of a combination of, or maybe you're familiar with P.T. Barnum's Fuji Mermaid, where they kind of glued. They oh. um, There's one at the Yield Curiosity Shop, I think, uh, down on the, uh, um, on the waterfront. But... Um, it's basically kind of like a skeleton head with a body of a cockroach and some aspects of a, of a, of a, of a fish and a monkey. And it's this made up creature and we call it the Wallingford. No, we beast. found that creature when we moved to Wallingford, okay. it was living underneath the, oh. it, 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 we found it in a hole right in the, in the boneyard. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely mistaken. Sean is absolutely right. It was a real creature. That was scuttling around that abandoned liquor store that we took yes. over. Um, yes. I don't know what I was thinking about. Yeah, <laughs> but we have it in a locked um, plexiglass container with warning signs and a big padlock on it. And you know, we like to have little kids get up close to it and kind of tell them, "Don't get too close." And you know, that's a lot of fun. But uh, it's such a delightfully goofy ridiculous thing and um it kind of reminds me of like the alien and in, in, um, in alien and uh, i would grab it i would grab mm -hmm. it and run out the door and i would hold it close to my heart and say i saved you beast i <laughs> saved you that's what i would do shauna how about you uh well okay this is really hard so i guess i'm just gonna i can't take the whole museum with me so I nope. guess I would just have to drag out that world's largest rubber chicken. I'd have to, because I can't take the whole museum. You could be burned to death. That thing I'll weighs drag that a ton. Thing. <laughs> I know, but I just have to drag that thing. It's it's so it's so important, and I love it so much. And um, yeah, I'd have to just somehow get it out. And <laughs> so we have double doors. I'd have to figure it out. I, maybe I'd have to roll it. I don't know. 
So you would take the seven foot rubber chicken. I think I'd have to. So, <laughs> all right. How did you guys procure a seven foot rubber chicken? Nadia made it. I said, I said, you know, we have to have the world's largest rubber chicken. And, um, Nadia, who works at our store, as I said, store people have amazing talents. And one of hers apparently is building rubber, giant rubber chickens. She didn't know this was a talent of hers, but um, we soon learned it was. And um, we have a wonderful um, fast video of showing how it was built. But um, she did it. It's incredible. I love it so much. And it's so funny because at first it wasn't big enough and we realized it had to be bigger. So it is seven feet tall. And it is a marvel. And we had to, we built it up in our warehouse. We had to use the forklift to move it from one location to the next. Um, it was quite a feat getting it down to the store from our, from our warehouse. And um, now everybody's got to get the pictures with it. And um, it's just wonderful. I love it so much. And by the way, when she always jokes with me because I, you know, I said to her, you know, every time she's working on it, I was like, Nadia, you know, you're making chicken money right now. So her favorite thing on this earth is to make chicken money. <laughs> I, I do love the image, though, Shauna, of if there was, God forbid, what uh, Wallingford burned, that you, we're standing out in the middle of 45th. You have the giant chicken that you're, you're struggling to keep upright. And I have the Wallingford beast clutched to my bosom. And it's yeah. sort of like... We're all that's left of, of, of earth and, and we will have to rebuild society and, <laughs> and agriculture and food production with these creatures. Yep. That's how it'll start. Yep. It's all the ingredients we need, really. Yeah. So all right. I've got so you say you're claiming that the seven foot rubber chicken is the world's largest rubber chicken. Prove it's not. I was just gonna ask how big is the second largest? <laughs> I mean, how did we get to that? Or was it, did you? I'm going to say, I'm going to say the world's second largest chicken is, is something like, you know, 21 inches or something like that. Now there's people, now there's people who like have rubber chicken costumes. Right. You know, but we're but talking a real actual but, chicken. Right. Um, you know, I, it's, there's nothing close to that. That's awesome. That's yeah. But, well, the commercial one, our nickname is the squalling chicken is about two feet. Or two and a half feet or so that uh, is very popular. It makes sound. Right. And I think that's the largest commercial um, rubber chicken that I'm Biggest aware. and loudest. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which we sell, of course. <laughs> so you said that you've had a website since the early, you know, mid nineties. So you were right there really when, there was this divide where you, the internet was supposed to be free and how dare you make money on the internet. There was, remember back in the day when there was this, people were held in contempt for selling on the internet, which should be free. And, and now look at it. <laughs> um, do you guys, I mean, I think the internet's awesome because some, uh, some kid in, in Clearwater, Florida can buy a rubber chicken from you. You know, he can order it and you guys will ship it you know, to him. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, but it's not the same experience, but yet your website's kind of got that same sort of, it's kind of got a kitschy feel to it. Mm-hmm. I like that. Do you guys like being on the web? I guess is a question. I mean, do you, does it, do you guys think of creative ways of making the website fun and cool or is it, is it uh, a, a necessary evil? 
I, I, if you will. I think we both have opinions about this. I'm going to just one thing I will say, and I think Mark probably has a lot more about it, but we are reaching our kind of weirdos. And that's the biggest thing that's cool for us. Obviously, it expands our, you know, our ability to be a business because we can sell to all these people. But we are connecting as if we're in a club with all these weirdos around all of all of the US. And um, that is important to us. We have super fans who subscribe to everything that we do. And we have um, people who it means something. And we, we send catalogs out. And my one of my very favorite stories is there's this woman who contacted us and she lived in a, she lives in a very remote small town in the U S and she said, she said, Hey, does anybody else in my town, uh, or order your catalog? And we said, we, you know, we can't give, we can't give out addresses of our customers. You know, we can't give our contact information to, of our customers. And she goes, Oh no, no, I don't want their contact information. I just want to know that I'm not alone. And I feel like that's what we provide. We're saying, no, you're part of us. And she was so excited when we said, yes, somebody else in your town orders from us. And she's like, oh, I love my town. And she was happy. And that's what we can do. So so in a way, then, isn't the website kind of like the, the back of the comic book from when I was a kid and you could order, you know, the x-ray glasses and all of that stuff? I mean. Um, yeah. I mean, I still call the online retail business mail order mail order is an old-fashioned you know thing because because we started in mail order i mean you know it was we would you know i would advertise in classified ads and i would add you know it was all print just like the comic book thing and you know we we in the it would come by mail and the people would write us checks and and uh sometimes we'd get envelopes full of pennies and quarters and dimes from kids i mean um it's um it was how it was. So, I mean, I don't have a spin or some kind of, uh, I mean, the internet is the evolution of our lives and, and, and it, and it's in everything now. And, and for us, I mean, my only plea is I would like a level playing field because I do believe the big tech companies have monopolistic uh, uh, practices that just crush and control small business but that's another story. And, and, you know, unfortunately, the Department of Justice and Congress are too stupid to figure out that this is going on or they don't care. But um, I, I'm, I'm neutral about the Internet in the sense that, yeah, it's our, so our catalog is on a screen and, and you can, you know, and you use a mouse and you look through it. Um, it's pretty efficient and, um, and it gets better and better. And, but the big thing, though, and this is what will save us is we can reach the tribe. The tribe is that woman that wanted so much to know that in her zip code, there was another human being. She didn't care what gender it was, but just thought like her that thought this was funny. And that's, that is what, I mean, and through this COVID um, crisis, the only thing that's growing is the website, um, the retail website, um, everything else were just crushed and, and, uh, and we're going to be a smaller company in the future, but we will survive because of the website, because of that ability to reach people. Um, you know, 
talk about social distancing, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and and safe commercial activity. Yeah. No, I, I, I love the attitude about it because, you know, I do think it's cool that I, on, on my screen here, I'm looking at the rubber chicken madness jigsaw puzzle. And the reason I'm looking at this is because my mother asked me yesterday if we had any jigsaw puzzles that she could put together. And the answer was, no, I don't have any in the house. Well, I'm going to be ordering one here in a little bit and there'll be a rubber chicken jigsaw puzzle delivered to her. And from the looks of it, she's going to have a hard time. I tell you, I have done that puzzle myself. It is, we have five different puzzles um, that we sell and that is the most challenging, but I did it. It can be done. So tell your mother, I said it can be done. I'm going to, it's, it's going to be, I think it's awesome. Uh, And so I'm going to, I'm going to order one here and uh, because I'm not going to drive over to Seattle today to pick it up, but so I can, I can, I can participate in, in, in our Chief McPhee from the internet. And I, I think that's cool. So to wrap up, you know, the, the goal of my podcast is we talk about Washington state, cool things are going on. So in the Wallingford area, when you're out and about, do you have cool neighbors around the store? We do have some cool neighbors. Um, we definitely do. Um, we, we, uh, have uh, Bizarro Bizarro Italian Cafe is right around the corner from us, which is sort of like it's a funny thing. It's almost like an Archie McPhee style restaurant. Um, they have our same sort of aesthetic and vibe, um, and they're such a they're they're super fun to to work with. And like we have little neighborly things, like they can have somebody you know waiting for their reservation, send them over to Archie McPhee. They can call us up and we'll send them over that kind of stuff. We have Molly Moon's ice cream nearby. Fantastic. Yummy. Um, And uh, the bounty across the street is the coffee shop that we always communicate with and talk about like, how late are you guys staying open? Also they've used our games um, in their coffee shop. Like they, they play the crazy cat lady game and the, the Mr. Bacon game. They have them available. We gave them those. Um, next door, right next door to us is the Wallingford Boys and Girls Club. And we, um, right now we're selling the, these really cool masks with your favorite item, rubber chickens on them. Um, and 20% of the sales of that are going to the Wallingford Boys and Girls Club. We were able to give them their check the other, uh, their first check the other day. Yeah. So, so you guys are, okay. So wait a second, let's, 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 let's just not bypass us. So you're, the rubber chicken masks are available. Yep. And you're donating 20% to the the Wallingford Boys and Girls Club. Yes. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to that. So if somebody buys it off the website, you'll do the same thing? Yep, absolutely. So we, we can put a link to that so that somebody wants to do something because that's a great cause. That's Now, on a side note, are those masks acceptable to wear in public as far as COVID goes? Can I Can I go shopping with a rubber chicken mask on? It's encouraged. Encouraged? <laughs> I, I, okay. I think I'll order one of those as well. And just because, because um, there's been this whole debate with my beard that the mask oh, isn't doing anything right. anyway. It's like, you know, and it's not long enough to fold up over to be a mask. Right. Um, so, but if I can have some fun with it, I think a rubber chicken mask would be. Hmm. I think that know, that's so. the thing about wearing masks is we have to, this is going to be a part of our lives for so long. I think making them fun accessories is the way to get it to be palatable for everyone. I think so. 
so. And then it still yeah. expresses something about ourselves. You know, uh, talking about the Wallingford neighborhood, which is such a great neighborhood, I'm also quite charmed. There's one of those cat cafes uh, yes. on the next block where you go and for a fee or the price of a cup of coffee, you go into a room and they have all these cats that you can, you can pet and they're, they're, or they'll sit on your lap and purr. And if you want, you can actually adopt one. But oh, it's cool. it's actually quite a viable business, and I mean, it, it quite, I don't know, I don't know how viable it is. It's right quite, a, it's quite. It, there are a lot of these things around the world. I think they started in Japan, uh, where in Japan they've got like you know, there's like a hedgehog place and all these cool places you can go and hang out with these animals. But you know, cats are probably the dominant uh, after chickens. Um, creature for our company we have so many yeah. cat items and i mean we we just we own the cat space the category <laughs> a category but so it's but nice that there's a, a unfortunately they've had to of course shut down because of uh, covid oh. but uh, one day they'll be open and you can go sit with a cat and, and uh, i think that's just i love again it's it's like the museum for the world's largest frying pan. I mean, this is a real basic human activity and, and thing that people can do. Um, so I, I vote Sorry. Yes. Uh, on a side note, my cat was just chewing on my sunglasses. Who's <laughs> off camera. And I had to stop him. Of course. Um, yeah. He, Cats he, are he, the best. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting little guy. Yeah. When actually made the world's largest apple pie. There's a there there you have a sign when you drive into Wenatchee, you know, the home of the world the world's largest apple pie in nineteen ninety seven or something like that. So um but we're very Scott, proud of it. What was the second largest I, apple I, pie? Probably made in cashmere. I, I don't know. I mean I, there, but the Guinness Book of World Records probably came out and met I mean, that's the whole thing. There's that the Guinness Book of World Records. When I was a kid, Ripley's believe it or not, you know, all those crazy things that people have been, you know, we're interested, we're fascinated mm -hmm. by. So, yeah. Um, so Sean, I'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Mark is anything you'd like to say before we, we go. Um, and thank you for being on. I, this has been incredibly enjoyable for me and it's been informative and, and uh, I will come over and visit one of these days. Um, <laughs> well, I hope you do. And um, well, try to give you a hard time and a, a good time. I would be disappointed if you guys didn't give me a bad time. I mean, a hard time. It would be, I'd, I'd be offended, frankly. Um, but Shauna, if you have a, Archie McPhee has a podcast. Yes, we have a podcast. Thanks for mentioning it. That's nice. Tell us, tell us. More. So, yeah. So it's called less talk, more monkey, the Archie McPhee podcast. And it's, um, David Wall and Hef, who's the the David Wall director of Awesome, and Hef, whose finger whose hands are the model for the finger hands, and myself, High Priestess of Rubber Chickens, and then we have wonderful guests like Mark has done some. Actually, our most popular episodes are the ones with Mark because he's got the cool stories, and um, but we um, talk about behind the scenes stuff about product development, and we talk about upcoming products and popular culture. And uh, thanks. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So how often is the, how often do you guys publish? The podcast? Um, well, we did 
publish it about approximately once a week. <laughs> but during these times, we've only done one since the quarantine. So we're looking forward okay. to get back, getting back to that. Um, so, but we have a good backlog with tons of cool information in it and just, just funny stories. We talk about all kinds of strange, strange things and um, strange histories. And we have some cool guests on it too. Very cool. So we'll put a link to that um, also in the show notes. And where, so why don't you tell everybody where you guys can be found both physical and online so that they, if they don't know, they can find you. Okay. We are at um, the corner of 45th and Stoneway in the Wallingford neighborhood of Seattle. And we've got that nice corner spot with a little, with our own parking lot even, which is very rare in that neighborhood (laughs) or any neighborhood in Seattle. Um, And we still offer curbside and we offer, we have the, the store curbside pickup. And of course the free rubber chicken museum is inside the store with a pressed penny machine. You can get a little souvenir. Um, and then if you can't get into the store, we are at mcphee.com. That's M-C-P-H-E-E.com. And that's where you can get our stuff. Uh, and, and a lot of wonderful little souvenirs and stories. And we have a cool blog. And, and obviously, we're on all social media. We have Instagram and Twitter and uh, Facebook and uh, anything, TikTok and anything else you can imagine. <laughs> you guys are on TikTok? <laughs> yeah, we even have TikTok. <laughs> okay so so okay last question i promise what's your favorite social media platform for archie mcphee where do you guys what resonates with you guys i think instagram instagram okay. is fun because you we've got it's sort of got it all you can tell a story you can show stuff um the staff can just be inspired to just do some funny little thing and do some quick little story or you can kind of get more in depth I don't know. They're all, they're all pretty good. And I would, I mean, I I would say Twitter um, more towards the fact I have my own Twitter. um, McPhee CEO is the handle that I'll always remember the, the guy that uh, started Twitter years ago in an interview, they said, why did you do this thing? And he said, I did it. So people would be less lonely. Um, that this would be a mechanism. And I think, again, in a way, Twitter is like the giant Archie McPhee tribe where you can get, you know, yeah, there's all this weirdness and trolling and all that stuff, but you can <laughs> you can have unbelievable experiences and, and, and conversations with people. And I mean, sometimes I'll just spend hours and I'll be, you know, I'll be having little interchanges with like, William Gibson in Vancouver and, and, you know, famous writers and, and scientists and people, people are surprisingly accessible on Twitter. Um, if you know where they are and if they're, they're doing it and if they're active and there's certain, there's certain people that really like Twitter and you, this is again, like I'd never be able to really meet these people, but I could have, I can give my opinion. I can say something funny. I can ask a question and, uh, you know, that's another thing I wanted to that I wanted to do on a road trip would be to actually uh, contact all these people I've met on Twitter and go see if they'd have a drink with me. I mean, it's kind of that's oh, kind of no. kind of weird, but it's another like road trip kind of thing. You know, it's just it's like you know, instead of having X number of, of friends, I've got they're not friends, they're acquaintances, I suppose, but 
I like Twitter. I like it. It's immediate. Um, you do something and, you know, at three o'clock in the morning and bam, you're going to have a dozen people from around the world respond to it. There's something really great about that to me personally. I don't, I, I disagree with you in the sense that I don't think it's weird at all that you'd go and, you know, go, if you went up to Vancouver and asked William Gibson, if he'd have a, if I drink with you and if he said, yes, that's, that'd be cool. Wouldn't it? I, mean, I don't think it's weird. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, you've, you've, if you've, if you've had a dialogue with this, this individual through years, right. Or weeks or whatever. And, and you pull up to, you know, Missoula, Montana, and there's somebody there and you say, Hey, I'm going to be in Missoula today. Cup of coffee. I don't think that's weird. I think that's a great way of taking that online relationship and transferring it into the real world. And I, it's, I, Twitter's a great platform for that. And I think it's, I think it'd be a lot of fun to do that. I mean, I've met some great people online that we've converted into, you know, you know, real world, you know, conversations. And when I come mm -hmm. to town, you know, type thing. So, um, I think that's awesome. So, well, I'm going to wrap this up because this has gone along. I appreciate you guys both for, for being on the, on the podcast. We'll, uh, we'll uh, get it out there and we'll let you know when it's going. Um, so thank you. Thank and, you. Uh, thank we'll, you. Uh, we will talk at a later time. Thank okay. you so much. All right. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.